And so at Grace Fellowship Church, if you uh, attend regularly, you know we hold the Word of God in high esteem. That we believe that this is not just a book, not just the best book, not just a super helpful book. But we believe that literally the entire Bible, how much of it? All of it contains every word that God would have us know that we would need to apply to our daily lives, both unto salvation and then to help us each and every day. That God's word is literally all sufficient for everything we might face in life, believing that God has spoken to it either directly or in principle. We love the word of God. And so if you have a copy of the scriptures with you, if you would turn in that or scroll in your Bible app to the gospel of Matthew... Uh, chapter 2, excuse me, Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, and since this is the word of God, we believe that when it is read, when it is spoken, that it comes to us with no less authority and no less power as if Jesus was standing here right before you speaking it to us. We love Christ the word. And so in honor of not my voice, but of his, if you're physically able, would you stand as we read God's holy word, beginning in Matthew chapter 1, follow along silently as I read aloud, beginning in verse 18. This is what the word of God says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The title of the sermon is The Decision of a Lifetime, which I'll admit is a pretty big claim. Uh, In fact, if you're anything like me, you might roll your eyes at the sound of it, because it sounds kind of like salesy, right? Like, how many of you remember ShamWow? Remember that guy? Remember the ShamWow guy? It sounds a little like, the deal of a lifetime, call now, don't wait, this can all be yours, don't miss out. Like, it's just, which if you're anything like me, the more aggressive a salesperson is to me, the more likely I am not to buy just out of principle. I don't know if it's pride, I don't know what it is, but the more someone's like, you gotta do this now, you gotta do this now, you gotta do this now, I'm just like, I'm just not gonna do it. I'm not an impulse buyer, I'm not an emotional purchaser, I'm just, the more you're trying to get up my emotions, the more I'm like, get thee behind me, Satan. 
And so we have tree removal people. Do you guys have those people coming to your neighborhood? Tree removal people. We do because we have lots of older trees in our neighborhood. And sometimes when they are going through the neighborhood and they've just removed trees or they're about to remove trees, they'll knock on our door and they'll be like, hey, we're sorry to bother you. But I mean, we happen to be in your neighborhood and we notice you have trees and we wanted to know if maybe you wanted them removed. And I'm like, what? Oh, like, like, and, and we're here now. So we just figured, we'd like, what, you would not come back if I made an array? Like, you're only here now. I can't get my trees removed at another time. And so we don't want our trees removed. We love our trees. We want our trees to, be, to, to stay there. And we treat them well. And we just tell them to kind of be gone. And so we don't, I don't take wealth. We, had a, we were interrupted. I guess it works. Like, why would they do this if it didn't work? Because I don't know if it's a hobby. But we were interrupted in dinner the other day. Somebody was selling us a vacuum cleaner. It's like, we don't want a vacuum cleaner. We want to eat our dinner. Don't want to buy a vacuum cleaner. Don't want to do it. It was raining. I felt bad for the guy, but I also was annoyed by the guy. You know, you're like you're sympathetic, but not enough to invite him in, but you feel bad, and so you pray for him as you close your door. And so it's just, like, I, I just don't, I don't do the salesy thing. The last thing I want to be is salesy. Your social media feeds are likely similar to mine, so you've likely been bombarded with deals and ideas for Christmas and ideas for Yourself. I just saw something on Instagram that you can plug into the little check engine port of your car. Some of you are nodding, and then it connects to an app on your phone so it can tell you why the check engine light's going on. I'm like, I want that. It's like, this is an idea for gift. This is an idea for me. I'm going to now buy it. Like your, your social media feeds are just filled with ideas of what you need to buy now or what you want to buy for yourself or for others. I don't want to be salesy. I do, by the grace of God, hope to be persuasive. I do hope that by the end of our time together, I can leave you with something to really consider as you leave here and celebrate Christmas, however that looks for you over the coming days. I hope to show you why the sermon title isn't salesy and it's not overblown and it's not over-exaggerated, but actually completely appropriate. The decision of a lifetime. It's true. It's something that's been on my heart in recent days as I've pondered the word of God in Christmas and seeing this Sunday coming. Most times when we read of the Christmas account in the scriptures, we ponder the miraculous events surrounding Christ's birth. And there's plenty to ponder. We, should, we do well to do that. How Christ would be born of the Virgin Mary, and he was. How, how despite the fact that Mary was a virgin, had not been intimate with a man, she'd still conceive Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And she did. How she and Joseph would have to go to Bethlehem to be counted for the census, and they did. And how Jesus would be born in the squalor of a manger in Bethlehem, and he was. And how he'd fulfill every single solitary Old Testament prophecy made about the Messiah's birth, prophesied by Isaiah and others for 4,000 years prior to his arrival on earth, and he did. I think sometimes we marvel over the miraculous nature of it, And that's not bad. We also marvel over the providential nature of it all. So uh, providence is God acting in the now. Miraculous is God acting in the wow. Like I can't explain that. But God is no less active in your everyday circumstances than he is in parting the Red Sea or in healing the sick or in raising the dead. You need to understand that. You need to understand that in 2000. 
In 2000, when God laid it on a young Southerner's heart who was living in South Carolina who just wanted to not be living at home at the time and wanted to spread her wings and got a job as a live-in nanny in New York, and then the Lord saved her up there, and then she was looking for a church and happened to come to my church because I happened to be at her home church promoting a youth camp, and we had never met, and her sister says, my sister lives on Long Island, and then proceeded to describe her as if I would be able to pick her out of the New York metro area. And so then I gave her my phone number because she wanted to know, can I have your phone number in case she needs directions? And I said, yeah. And so I gave her directions, and she showed up at church in, on Mother's Day 2001. And I forgot I had a mother because I was just like going deaf, and there was angelic light pointing down, and I heard people singing. <laughs> and then we would proceed to become good friends, and we would proceed to become boyfriend and girlfriend, and we would proceed to be engaged, and we would proceed to be married, and here we are almost 20 years later. There's nothing miraculous about what I've just told you. Oh, well, thanks, I tried. There's nothing miraculous about what I told you. I can explain it all. God's no less involved. It's just not miraculous. But it's providential. The fact that you're here right now, not, no offense, like not miraculous. Like congratulations on driving here safely. But God's no less involved. The miraculous is God in the wow. Providence is God in the now. It's the fact that you cross paths with who you do when you go to the water cooler or the coffee machine at work. It's the fact that you take that class with that person. It's the fact that you sit next to that person on a bus. It's the fact that you are seated where you are in a restaurant. You're not robots. We're not robots. But God works through our desires to accomplish his good pleasure for his glory and our good. Providence is God in the now. It's miraculous in that Jesus was conceived in the womb of a virgin. That's pretty miraculous. It's providential that the census would be called when it was, which drew Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, where Christ was born. He said, that's a miracle. It's not. They rode a donkey but it's providential that God would then bring them to Bethlehem where Christ would be born, thus fulfilling prophecy. Here's what's been heavy on my heart and mind lately that I hope to share with you in a way that would impact you this Christmas. The title of the sermon is The Decision of a Lifetime. And I want to focus on decisions, like actual volitional decisions that Christ made for the glory of God and the benefit of people like you and like me. Did you know that Christ decided to do all of these things. Uh, Jesus pre-existed his birth. You say, I don't understand that. I say, I don't either. I I don't. But we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit existing literally from the pages of Genesis. And when Jesus came to earth through the womb of a virgin, he didn't just find himself in Mary's uterus and wonder how he got there. Uh, Nor was he forced to do so by his heavenly father. He decided to do this for people like you, like me, and for the glory of our great God. It was a decision on his part. Uh, We'll come back to Matthew chapter 2 in a moment, but if you would, uh, turn in your Bible app or or flip in your Bible to Philippians uh, chapter 2. The book of Philippians chapter 2. This is Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And Paul says this in chapter 2. 
beginning in verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And so Paul's saying, be of the same mind of Christ and be united together. Be, have that same heart, have this same mindset. And you say, well, how do you do that? And Paul says, I'm not finished. Look at verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Uh, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so here, Paul is saying, have this mind, which was in Christ. Be like Christ in this way. And so, point number one is this. Jesus decided to prioritize sinners like you and me over himself. We see that in verses three and four. Because Jesus, in humility, did not uh, counted others more significant than himself. Jesus was in heaven, in perfect fellowship with his heavenly Father. He was where we as believers are looking forward to go. His decision to come down to earth as a baby, albeit a sinless baby, it's wonderful, but you need to understand it's different than when you and I hold a baby. When we hold a baby, we look at that baby, I don't know what you think of that moment, but it's like this baby is has not been touched by so many of the evils of this world. The baby is, is, is just, it seems to be so pure, so innocent. I always look at the bottoms of babies' feet because they're, they stay so soft for so long because they're going to have like, I don't know, six, nine, 12 months before they actually use them in earnest. And so, because they're going to like just lay there, then they're going to roll around, then they're going to army crawl, and then they're going to crawl, and then eventually they're going to walk. But those feet stay so soft for so long. And you hold that baby and you're like, wow, a brand new baby. And we're excited. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be excited. You need to understand that when Jesus came to the world through the womb of a virgin as a baby, it was an unbelievable downgrade. Unbelievable downgrade from living in the glories of heaven. For him to choose to do that was not something that he would be celebrating. He's probably more like the world is, like this is very different from how Jesus had existed from eternity past. So when Paul says, have the mind of Christ in you, and then says, here's one way you can do it. You can humbly count others more significant than yourselves. I want you to know Jesus demonstrated that throughout his earthly life and ministry, but don't miss that he showed us that even at his birth. It's common and appropriate for us to look at what Jesus did on the cross and say, clearly Jesus did not count himself higher than the people for whom he died. Uh, Clearly Jesus was selfless. Look at the cross. Yes, I'm saying you could see Jesus as selfless right in the manger. I'm saying you could see Jesus as selfless when he's in the womb of his mother. The fact that he would leave perfect heaven and come to earth to live is the first example of him counting others more significant than himself. But more than that, point number two, Jesus decided to become the God-man by taking on flesh. Look at Philippians 2, verses uh, 5 and following. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The fact that Paul says Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped means that although Jesus continued to fully exist as God at all times, he never laid aside his deity, Jesus was always 100% God, he refused to hold on to his divine rights and prerogatives 
as God. Does that make sense? He wasn't even, I'm not going down there. I'm God. I'm the son of God. I'm number two in the Trinity. I live in heaven. I didn't sin. I don't need to suffer. I don't need to die. I don't need to do this. It's their problem. It's their sin. Let them all rightfully be punished. It's not wrong. Jesus did not say, no, 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 I'm God. I'm not doing this. This was a choice, a decision made by Jesus that set the incarnation into motion. That he would say that his, that his deity is not uh, something to be grasped, something to say, this is mine, get away. But would say, you know what? I'm God, but I'll be the God man. I'll live in an imperfect world. I'll live a life among other imperfect human beings. I'll experience temptation for the first time, but will not sin, and I will die. Which he did not have to do. He did not, that's what that that means when it says he did not consider the fact that he was God something to be grasped. He refused to selfishly cling to his position as the son of God and refused to use it as a, a prized possession for himself. It's a decision. I'm not going to hold so tightly onto this, but I will become the God-man. Uh, point number three, Jesus decided to obey his father in paying for sinners just like you and me. Look at Philippians 2 and verse 8. Uh, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Uh, it says he became obedient. Obedience is always a choice. Always a choice. When children obey their parents, they have chosen to do so. When we choose to obey those in authority of us, we have chosen to do so. Uh, when we are obedient to the Lord, to his word, we choose to do so. We're not forced to do so. If we are, then we're subjugated, but we're not obedient. Uh, obedience, submission, is a, this is an, an act of the will. And Jesus was no different. The fact that we're told Christ became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, the fact that the word obedient is used there means Christ, listen to me, decided to do that. It would be different if it said, and God the Father subjugated Christ to become a sacrifice for sinners. That would show us that God the Father used his power and forced his son to do what he wanted him to do. I, quite frankly, would still be thankful because that would mean that we could be believers and we could be saved. But that's not what we're told in the text. The text says Jesus became obedient to the point of death, which means Jesus chose to leave heaven, decided to enter the womb and put on flesh, decided to be born, decided to live an earthly life like you and like me, decided to not give in to temptation throughout his life, decided to live perfectly so he could decide to die for sinners like us. These are the decisions of a lifetime. But his decisions didn't end there. You see, by Christ deciding to die on the cross in our place, God the Father decided to pour out his wrath, wrath that was meant for you and you and you and you, wrath that was meant for sinners like us, like me, like you and like you and like you and like you. God the Father decided to pour out his wrath on his son who decided to die in our place. And so Jesus dying on the cross suffered all the physical pain that any one of us would suffer from a death by crucifixion. But then 
suffered blow after bloody blow from his heavenly father who was pouring out his wrath, the equivalent of his wrath for each and every one of us, the equivalent of an eternity in hell, Jesus bore the wrath of God on the cross. Jesus decided to do that. It's not that God said, you know, I think I'm going to overlook some sinners and let them into heaven. Never think that. God has collected upon every sin debt. He will collect either in their eternity in hell or through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And if Jesus, if Jesus Christ is your Savior, if you believe on Jesus Christ to be saved, he poured out his wrath on his Son so that he would not have to pour out his wrath on you because he's already collected It's the decision of a lifetime. He decided to die and was buried. And you know what? He decided to rise from the grave, showing that although he was dead, he could even overpower death. He says in John 10, 17, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. This is one of the biggest flexes of Jesus. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. I'm Jesus. It's a decision of a lifetime. Finally, point number four. You will decide whether or not you will worship Jesus. Go back to Matthew chapter 2, where we read from earlier. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, look at verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose... And have come to worship him. The, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Why? We don't have to guess. Verse 2 tells us. They said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? That meant they decided this was in fact the king of the Jews. They don't say, where is, we kind of heard there's somebody being ruined with the king of the Jews. We don't really know where we stand on this. We kind of want to see and judge for ourselves. I think we'll have like a little, like we'll have a feeling when we're there. We'll know if it's him. No, they had decided this man is the king of the Jews. This baby is the king of the Jews. For we saw his star, verse 2, when it rose, and have come to worship him. Not, we're thinking about worshiping him. We're going to kind of see how it goes. Could you tell us where he's at? I'm not sure if he's, I think we'll know, like, we'll know a king when we see him. We're willing to worship him. We're just not sure. No, they said, we have, they never met the baby. We've come to worship him. The decision of a lifetime. Uh, Philippians 2 verses 9 and following says this. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 10, 
at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Do yours? Verse 11, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you? It's the decision of a lifetime. See, Christmas reminds us of the decisions Christ has made for people like you and me. Every day, everyone who has ever walked God's green earth has decided to either worship Jesus or not worship Jesus. Every day, people decide to worship Jesus or not to worship Jesus. And so what about you? Have you decided to worship Jesus or not to worship Jesus? Perhaps never before in your entire life have you been so cognizant of the brevity of life than over the last two calendar years. I don't want to sound salesy, but what you believe about Jesus really and truly is the decision of a lifetime. I don't want to sound salesy, but it, it really is a limited time Offer because you are going to die. Jesus died so that people like you and like me need not fear death. I don't want to die. I really don't. Like I've got things I want to do. I got plans tomorrow. Like I, I, got, I don't want to. I don't want to die. I don't. I want to see what the Lord does in my kid's life. I've actually never been more excited to be part of Grace Fellowship Church than I am right now, believing that the Lord has great things in store for us and that the best is yet ahead. I want to see that happen. I don't want to die. But I'm ready. Does that make sense? I'm not hoping to die. But if God has numbered my days to end a lot sooner than I thought they would be, I am, I am ready. Jesus died so that people like you and me need not fear death. Jesus died so that he would pay all that we'd never be able to pay so that we could have God's gift of mercy and free grace in the gift of eternal life to all who would believe. And so friends, I don't want to sound salesy at all. But I do pray you'd be persuaded that this really is the decision of a lifetime. I don't want to sound salesy. I do hope and do pray that you'd be persuaded that eternal life, mercy, grace, not a perfect life, but peace in life, knowing that God is in control. Not a carefree, trouble-free life, but trust in the fact that God loves us and is in control of all things and will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able, all this can be yours. And I don't want to sound salesy. I just would hope that you'd be persuaded of that. 
I don't want to sound salesy, but I hope you'd be persuaded to not miss out. And Romans 10 and verse 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't want to sound salesy, but I hope you'll call now. You see, those of us who have called on the name of the Lord to be saved, we don't live perfect lives by any stretch of the imagination. We don't live trouble-free lives. We don't live temptation-free lives. We, we jack it up, quite frankly, all the time. All the time. Always finding new ways to jack it up. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by choice. But we have hope in God. We have hope in Christ. We love God's word. We have a standard by which we strive to live. And when we fall short, the Lord grants repentance and hope. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we, that's our battle cry. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's, it's my hope and prayer that you would See this as the decision of a lifetime, a limited time offer. We don't know how long that time is, but a limited time offer. And that all this really can be yours if you call now. You don't have to speak to me after, I'd love to speak to you after the service. You don't have to, you can just cry out to God and say, I want to be saved. Lord, I want to be saved. No one who's ever cried out to the Lord and said, I want to be saved, has ever been disappointed. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever shall, words of certainty. If you don't believe, tell God, I want to believe. I don't. I want to believe. I don't. I, I, I need faith. I need to be convinced from you that this is a thing, that the gospel is true. Cry out to God and ask him for help. Make the decision of a lifetime because whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved and it would be wonderful if this, despite how old you might be or how young you might be, might be the very best and most merry Christmas of all because you actually come to know and love the Savior for whom we are so joyful. Lord, we are grateful for the gospel. We are grateful for the truth contained within your scriptures. We're grateful that our Savior models selflessness, humility. Yes, at the cross, but beginning right at his conception. The fact that he would be conceived and leave the glories of heaven shows us his selfless, selfless nature. And we are so grateful, so grateful to be partakers of such a wonderful gospel. Oh, God in heaven, would you, for those of us who know you and love you and have perhaps for quite some time, would you renew and restore unto us the joy of our salvation? Uh, would you call the things of earth to grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and your grace that we might experience joy forevermore because of who you are. But Lord, for those who know you not, would you 
do a work in hearts and minds that no person can do? Would you give life where it's needed? Would you give hope where it's needed? Would you give faith and belief where it is lacking? And would you draw boys and girls and women and men, young and old, unto yourself because of your glorious gospel this day for your glory, for your name's sake and for our good, we pray. Amen.